just curious to hear what human qualities you think are most challenging to describe through writing, and if there are any that you can think of that you think that words really can't convey. Thank you for that question. That's a very, very interesting question. Um, I, I think that it's, it's, quite, it's quite difficult um, to, to um, describe kindness. Uh, I think that uh, you, have to, you have to walk a very delicate path, that you don't want to tip over into sentimentality. Uh, and therefore, you have to use a very light brush when you're talking about the virtues. Uh, now, Mara Matsui is, I think, a virtuous character, but I can't paint her in as, as smug and wearing her heart on her sleeve or anything of, of that sort. I think you have to use a very, very delicate brush. It's easy, I think, to describe um, evil people. It's easy to deal with evil and violence and, and all of those negative uh, human uh, qualities. But uh, the description of the virtues is, is, a tricky, is a tricky issue. Um, thank you for that. I'm right here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, I'm curious if you've been involved at all in the process of turning the novels into an HBO series. And if you have, what has that process been like? And are you confident that it's going to communicate the things about the people and the place that you wanted to communicate through your novels? Thank you very much, uh, Karen. That uh, is, <laughs> that's a wonderful question. Have we got about uh, a couple of hours to, uh, <laughs> to deal? Because it, it is actually being involved, um, being involved with the, the sale of film rights and, and uh, making, the, making the film of one's work is the most extraordinary experience. Many people naively believe that when you sell film rights to a book, you're selling them to somebody who wants to make a film. That's mistake number one. <laughs> that there are some people who just buy film rights in order to stop other people making films of that particular. So that's a big thing. So uh, it's a sort of rights squatting which go goes on. Uh, I sold the film rights about eight years ago, and uh, I met um, for lunch with the filmmakers uh, once a year. Uh, we'd meet for lunch, and every, t every year they'd say, we're about to begin. We're just about to begin. Film people have a different sense of time from ordinary, <laughs> uh, ordinary people, and their vocabulary is quite different. So if they say, we're about to begin to make it, they mean the next decade or possibly the next two decades. Uh, immediately means five years and so on. And so uh, I'd meet them for lunch, and I decided that next time I sold uh, film rights, I'd sell them directly to a restaurant. Uh, which I think would be uh, uh, much better. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we had lunch. I had a very nice lunch with Anthony Mengele, and when he said, I'm really going to begin this time. And um, it was in New York, in a restaurant which was so fashionable, there was nothing on the door to indicate that it was a restaurant. <laughs> and, <laughs> and where the portions were so small, uh, they were virtually invisible to the naked eye. And they each cost $36. So you, you, ordered, you ordered the pea. <laughs> and that's what you got. So I asked for a big basket of the olive bread and ate, uh, ate that. Anyway, um, we had a discussion. I realized then that they read because they had drawings and pictures and they had the people going around. And they, they, they were to, to make it. I had complete confidence in, in Anthony Mangello because he's such a wonderful director. I very much like his work. I think The Talented Mr. Ripley was the most marvelous film. And uh, I knew that he wouldn't, wouldn't do anything uh, serious with the, 
with the uh, seriously um, different with the uh, with the the, the books, uh, and he did respect the ethos of the books. And he went to Botswana on a number of occasions before they started to shoot the the movie. And um, I knew that he was paying great attention to the culture of the place, and um, the people liked him uh, because he wasn't he wasn't um, egotistical or, or pushy. He was very um, interested to learn about the culture, and people really took took to him. Uh, he was much uh, uh, appreciated re uh, when he was in, in Botswana. And so he made a beautiful film, which was filled with love, uh, and which uh, really, I think, correctly interpreted uh, the spirit of Botswana. And then the HBO series, which were six one-hour films after that, were made uh, with the same basic uh, approach. Uh, I had no difficulty with the casting, uh, sorry, with their casting. I, I obviously had no role in, in any of this. Uh, although um, people didn't believe that I had no role because uh, wherever I went in the world, I was pursued by uh, traditionally built ladies of African origin uh, who said, I'm Mara Maltzwi, I can act, here's my portfolio. Um, and they really were very persistent. Um, my, I had my own candidate for uh, the role of Mara Matsui, and that was the Minister of Health in Botswana, uh, Sheila Tlou, who had acted Mara Matsui in a Khabaroni amateur dramatic production of Mara Matsui uh, and the Pirates of Penzance, uh, which apparently went down very well. And, <laughs> and the Minister of Health made a wonderful uh, Mara Matsui. So I mentioned to the, to the uh, film people uh, that they should just cast the Minister of Health in the role, and they thought that I was, I was uh, mad. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Kate. Um, you had said that when you were writing this series, you had a non-African audience in mind. Yes. And I'm wondering if when you write books, you specifically decide on an audience before you write that book? And if so, as you're writing, how deliberately you keep in mind uh, audience with your mm. word choice and with the way you write? The, the, thank you for that question. It's very interesting. Um, I didn't, uh, when I started to write uh, novels in general, I didn't have any preconception of, of who would read them. Uh, but then what happens is that you get to know your audience when you do events and you travel around and you, they write to you. And so you get to know who your readers are. And that's the point at which the identity of the reader begins to have some impact on the creative process. Uh, and so you know who your readers are and you know what will upset your readers. And so you know what not to do. So for example, in the Isabel Dalhousie books, the Sunday Philosophy Club series, Isabel, who's um, 40, 42, has a friendship with a, a, a young man of 28. And I had intended that to be a, a friendship. And uh, I came under great pressure from my female readers aged above 40 to allow them to have an affair. And I was shocked because <laughs> these books are set in Edinburgh where we don't do that sort of thing. And so, <laughs> or hardly ever. And, uh, and so as a direct <laughs> result of this pressure, I got her to have an affair with, with Jamie. And uh, some of the readers said, this is great. Some of my, my, my lady readers said, this is very empowering stuff. Um, <laughs> but some of them were shocked and said, you know, that's not a good thing. And so, <laughs> I, so I've had to say, he's going to marry her, he's going to marry her. And that, that assuaged the, uh, the concern of mine. 
I, did, I once did a, a talk at a, a country club outside Houston, Texas, to a whole lot of Texas ladies. And Texas ladies, uh, well, I'm sure there are Texas ladies with us today, so. Uh, but some Texas ladies uh, wear these big shoulder pad things and, uh, and you know, sort of fairly big hair. And, um, and uh, there was 150 Texas ladies and one man <laughs> who had come to play tennis and had unfortunately drifted into this talk and he was trapped. And, <laughs> and I, said to, I said to these Texan ladies, that I was proposing in a future book to bring Mara Motsui's first abusive husband back. Note Makoti, horrible man. And I said, I was thinking of bringing him back. And they shouted at me and they said, you'll do no such thing. <laughs> and so I was through and said, no, no, I won't, I, I won't. <laughs> and then one of them relented and she said, okay, you can bring him back, but only to punish him. <laughs> <laughs> they can be a bit like that in Texas, you see. And so, um, so you do, you do react to, to, to readers, and it's uh, with Corduroy Mansions, which runs online uh, with podcasts at the same time, the podcast being read by the actor who plays Manuel in Forty Towers, uh, Andrew Sachs. Uh, so that went out every day. I wrote a chapter and went out into the ether, and then it comes out as a book later on. There I had feedback from the readers after each chapter. They'd go onto the Telegraph, Daily Telegraph site, and they'd say, what are you doing with this character? Or this is what I suggest, and so on. So it's, it's, I, I enjoy that interactivity. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, process of writing, where your ideas come from, whether you have a muse, uh, yes. a process, something that triggers the, the inspiration and the ideas? Because I understand as you were flying here on the plane with all of us that you wrote a short story. Yes. Yes, I did. I, I actually had to, I had to write some short stories about tea for a tea manufacturer who's introducing a new African tea called Malawian Lost Tea. I named the tea. They said, what could we call it? <laughs> it comes from Malawi, and I said, Lost Tea of Malawi. It was never lost. But they, they, uh, they think this is great. The marketing people says, you know, really, really, that'll work. So, uh, <laughs> so look out for Malawian Lost Tea. <laughs> we'll have to invent a story about how it got lost. Um, carelessness, perhaps. but. Um, <laughs> In one of my books, I actually have a, a, a scene in Singapore where Singaporeans keep their Air Force in Australia because they've got so little space. If they take off <laughs> and they turn left, they end up over Malaysia, which doesn't want them to fly over. So the Singaporean Air Force, I discovered, is kept in Australia. And I fantasized in the book about the Prime Minister of Singapore saying, where is our Air Force <laughs> I could have sworn I knew where it was. <laughs> I, I better, yeah, well, <laughs> I'll answer your question later. <laughs>